Cortland Computer Services presents the Baseball Lifer Podcast. Oh, hi there. Don Wardlow here. Your friendly baseball lifer here for another week to talk about what's going on in baseball and to present a guest, Kevin G. Chapman by name. The books he writes, especially his main character, he manages to weave baseball into the thread of the plot. His main character is called Mike Stoneman, and he's written five Mike Stoneman thrillers. And there are police stories. The latest book he's got, which we'll talk about at some length, is called Dead Winner. And he wrote one recently, which again, we'll talk about where the hero of the series meets with an unnamed source. And they meet at City Field, where the Mets play their games. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about other things that Kevin G. Chapman has written. And he's also recorded a couple of them for audible.com. So hear from him later on. There have been a few events this week in the game. First of all, the two rookies of the year were named in the National League. This was no surprise. It was Corbin Carroll of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Really, there was no rookie that gave him a run for his money. And as well as he did during the regular season, he also made a splash in the playoffs and in the World Series. Meantime, over in the American League, the Rookie of the Year was Gunnar Henderson of the Baltimore Orioles. The Cy Young Awards were handed out this week. On the National League side, it's his second Cy Young, and It belongs to Blake Snell of the San Diego Padres. He won his first with the Tampa Bay Rays back in 2018. In the American League, Jarrett Cole was the Cy Young Award winner. Cole of the Yankees had a 15-4 record, a 263 ERA. And this is interesting. In both leagues, the Cy Young Award did not go to people on the championship teams or even teams in the playoffs. Usually that is the case, but the Padres didn't make the playoffs. That's Blake Snell's team. And neither did the Yankees, Jarrett Cole's team. I'm called back in memory to 1972 when the Phillies' Steve Carlton won the Cy Young Award. That team was so bad, they won 59 games all year long, and Steve Carlton won 27 of them, making him a runaway winner in that year's Cy Young Award. When we come back, you'll be able to hear from author Kevin G. Chapman on this week's edition of the Baseball Lifer podcast. I am having such a problem at work. This is the second time this month I have had two computers down, and I can't get my computer company to come to the office and fix them. I think they are too busy with other bigger companies. You know, I was having the same problem until we met 
Cortland Computer Services in Middlesex, New Jersey. They respond to most of my calls the same day, either by accessing my computers remotely or by sending a technician to my office. Wow, that would be great. It is such a disruption when the computers are not working properly. I need somebody that can come out, see what's wrong, and fix it. On our first meeting, they surveyed our network for security, identified some problem areas, and set us up with security software designed to prevent malware, ransomware, and all of the other threats that are on the internet these days. They have been helping central New Jersey businesses for 30 years, and they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. You should contact them either on the web at courtlandcomputerservices.com or by phone at 732-356-8860. 732-356-8860. Courtlandcomputerservices.com. Tell them you heard about it on the Baseball Lifer podcast and get a $100 coupon toward your first two hours of computer services. Back on the Baseball Lifer podcast, Don Wardlow here with author Kevin G. Chapman. Kevin, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Don. I'm really glad to be here. You've mentioned to me that baseball kind of runs through the stories you've written and books you've written as kind of an underlying theme. And to make that happen, I'm guessing that baseball was a part of your life from when you were a boy. You you got that right, Don. Uh, My father actually was a sports writer. Uh, so he was a small town newspaper sports writer and did radio play by play. So I grew up uh, with sports all around me all the time. And and baseball was a big part of that. Where did he do play by play? Oh, back in my hometown of Port Angeles, Washington. High school sports, high school baseball, uh, well, basketball and football mainly. Who did you root for then? The, the pilots presumably had gone and the Mariners were only just beginning. Well, I go back even further than that, believe it or not. So uh, I actually grew up as a Montreal Expos fan because we lived so far out in the northwestern peninsula of the state of Washington that we didn't really get broadcast TV signals very, very well. And there was no team in Seattle, but we did get the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation signals. And once a week, we got uh, uh, Montreal Expos games from Jerry Park in, uh, in Montreal. Excellent. You know, those were games I would circle on my schedule when they would come out because I know now what I didn't know then, why the sound was so good at Jerry Park. And when you're blind as I am, the sound is what you're listening for, both the play-by-play broadcast and the field effects, the, the crowd and the crack of the bat and the pop of the mitt, because Jerry Park was so small. You could hear those sounds much more clearly than you could from bigger parks. Yeah, I believe that. that it was it was quite a little place before they moved to the uh, the big O uh, in after the Olympics. And that was our first road trip. My first uh, our, my my wife and I do road trips to baseball games, and that was our first road trip was to uh, to Montreal to see the Mets play the Expos in 1986. Now that had to be exciting. That was the year the Mets won it all. It was. It was a it was a great series. Mets won. Two out of three, I think, on that series in Montreal. We had a couple of friends. We were living in Boston at the time, and uh, we got in the car and drove to Montreal. <laughs> it was it was a nice trip. And the books that you've been writing are a series featuring Mike Stoneman. 
in the Montreal days, they usually had about one good player a year. And for a lot of those years, it was a pitcher named Bill Stoneman. Any yep. chance any chance you came up with Mike Stoneman based on Bill? I wouldn't say necessarily based upon, but when you're when you're thinking about names, uh, you're, there's always things rolling around in the back of your mind and, and relationships that you have to names in your life. And I'm sure that there are subconscious reasons. <laughs> I like Stoneman as a uh, as a cop's name. It's a solid name. It is that now. You were writing before the Stoneman series came out. And how did you go from, okay, I'm doing this or that for a living to I'm going to write me a book? How did how did that change happen? Well, I've, I've always been a closet writer back uh, back from my school days. But the real impetus was that in 1991, I got to think back how far that was, uh, I got laid off from my job. And suddenly found myself with a tremendous amount of free time that I was spending mostly looking for a new job, but then I had to fill the time with something. And I had this sort of germ of an idea. And I thought, well, let me, let me, let me write this down and see if I can make it into a book. And I did that for six months or so. Then I got a new job. Uh, <laughs> and then I put it aside and picked it up again and, and was working on that on and off throughout the sort of middle 90s. Uh, before I finally got it done and then couldn't get it published because you can't get a book published uh, when you're a nobody like uh, like me without a name. And so it sat on a shelf for uh, for several years until my wife for my uh, for our 20th wedding anniversary. She, uh, as a present to me, had it published. You could do there was a different version of self-publishing back in those days before the Internet. Uh, and she had it printed and I have had copies of that book created as my uh, as my very first novel so that was uh, that was a great anniversary present now was that identity crisis or was it before that no that was it that was uh, identity crisis which was a murder mystery starring a pi named rick leblond and they talk about names where did that name come from well i had a neighbor uh back in my hometown named rick leblond i always thought he had the coolest name so when i uh, created that private investigator i gave him that name Don Wardlow here on the Baseball Lifer podcast, talking with author Kevin G. Chapman, the newest book in his Mike Stoneman thriller series is Dead Winner, and he's got a book coming called The Other Murder, and does The Other Murder feature Mike Stoneman? Actually, both Dead Winner and The Other Murder are standalone novels that exist in the same universe as the Mike Stoneman thriller series. So I, I moved away from from Mike and his partner Jason Dixon for a, a little while uh, to do a couple of different books that are not specifically connected to that series. But they all exist in a universe in New York City where uh, where Mike Stoneman and the other homicide detectives uh, ply their trade when uh, when murders come up, which is in real life and in fictional life happens all the time. And how did the series? begin how did you come up with well now what about possibly a series of two or three books how did that enter your mind well it actually started with a short story uh i was uh i entered a a story in a writing competition that was it had to be about law or crime 
And I, uh, my day job is a lawyer. So I decided to do crime. <laughs> I didn't really want to write about law. Okay. And I, I created this fictional detective named Mike Stoneman for this short story called fool me twice. And it was 5,000 words and, uh, and I won the competition. Uh, and then a couple of years later, after I finished writing the great American novel, um, which, for, which I worked on for a very long time, uh, which was called A Legacy of One, which nobody wanted to buy because it's a serious piece of literary fiction. and It's not as much fun as the uh, uh, detective crime novels. <laughs> but I went back to Mike Stoneman and I said, that was a fun character. Let me take that character and work that up into a full novel. And, and I did that in 2000, between 2016 and 2018, was published in 2018 called Righteous Assassin. And that was so much fun writing that I took that character and the other characters that were part of that story and wrote another book uh, and then just kept going. <laughs> we had five books so far in the Mike Stoneman thriller series. And these have done well for you. You've won the Kindle Award for 2021. Uh, which book was that? Uh, the Kindle Book Award was for uh, Lethal Voyage, which is the third book in the Mike Stoneman series. Okay, and then in 2022, you took the Clue Award, as you also did for 2023. So 23, I'm guessing, was for Dead Winter. What took the award in 2022? 2022 was uh, the fourth book in the Mike Stoneman series called Fatal Infraction, which is a button, a book about the murder of the New York Jets quarterback. So it's kind of a football book, although it has some baseball in it. Now, I'm not familiar with either the Kindle or the Clue Award. So could you tell me a little bit about both of those awards? Sure. The, the Kindle Book Award is given out by uh, the Kindle Book Review, which is a, a book review company uh, or publication uh, that uh, focuses on books that are available on Kindle, so digital uh, eBooks. And uh, they do a an awards competition every year. There's only eight categories in this competition. So it's a pretty good one to win. Uh, and in the category of mystery slash suspense slash thrillers. So all of those books together, uh, that was the category that Lethal Voyage was uh, judged the best novel of 2021. So I was very happy with uh, with that one. The the Clue Award is given out by uh, another book review company called the Chanticleer Book Review. Uh, they're actually based out in the uh, state of Washington, where I'm originally from. But they do an annual book award competition also. And uh, I, I was very fortunate to be the category winner uh for two of my novels in 2022 and 2023 so somebody out there is uh thinks i can i can write a sentence properly on the baseball lifer podcast don wardlow with you my guest is kevin g chapman author his book out on the market right now is dead winner and coming up is going to be the other murder now what you told me what pushed me over the edge to bring you on the program. You told me that baseball and poker provide life lessons and situations that weave through your book. So talk to me a little about that. Well, the, the let's start with the baseball. Um, when I put together the character of Mike Stoneman, for example, I, I he grew up in Queens. He, he worked for the Long Island Railroad for a while. He was a lifelong Mets fan. 
and uh, I can't say that I was a lifelong Mets fan. I didn't adopt the team until 1979 when I moved to New York. But but Mike uh, is is always thinking about the Mets and talking about the Mets. So I I have a lot of friends who are who are baseball fans and particularly Mets fans. So I tend to put references into the books about baseball games or Mets games or uh, there's a scene, for example, in um, in uh, Fatal Infraction, the fourth book, where Mike needs to have a meeting with an FBI agent and needs to do it off the grid. And so he says, I'll meet me at City Field. And so they, they they meet up in the middle of a Mets game. And I end up writing a little play-by-play of what was going on in the eighth inning of this this Mets game uh, while Mike and the, and the uh, FBI agent are having their clandestine conversation about what was going on in this particular investigation and, and it, it's, it, it was would great be fun it would be next to impossible to bug city field so that would be a good place <laughs> for cloak and dagger that was my that was my thought they're they're standing in the uh in the standing room section behind one of the one of the sections on the lower deck at city field and pretending to be just two two guys watching a game and, and having a conversation if nobody is going to be able to figure that one out so that was a that was a good place to have a to have a meeting so instead, I, another, of, instead of Central Park, it was City Field. It was City Field. Makes uh, sense to there's me. Another, <laughs> there's another scene where where Mike is taking the uh, the the the, the a, a child of his former partner who was killed uh, to a to a baseball game, and and he finagles his way to get into the uh, pre-game like batting practice area at City Field and introduces the kid to uh, Pete Alonso. Uh, and this was during Pete Alonso's rookie year. And so the kid says, I bet you'll hit 50 home runs this year. And, <laughs> and so Pete Alonso goes on to set the rookie record with 52 home runs. And, you know, little things like that really draw people into a story because it's not just the fictional world, but it's also little bits and pieces of real life that uh, that you can you can think about and you can it, it makes it like a scene in a in a movie. And you see it in your mind's eye. And that's really what I'm trying to do when I write those kinds of things. Now, have you ever had any difficulties with Major League Baseball saying, well, you're stepping on our (laughs) trademarks or characters or anything of that nature? I have not. Uh, uh, My dream is to have Major League Baseball sue me and tell me that I'm violated their trademarks because I can't buy publicity like that. That would be great. Um, But I, I think that the use of the general term you know the Mets for example is a it's a team that exists in the world uh I think it's fair use for for me to use the uh the, the team name in the story or city field is it's a place like I can I can send my characters to city field and nobody's going to complain uh about that I did have to be very careful when I wrote um fatal infraction which was about as I said that the, I told you it was the murder of the Jets quarterback the name Jets actually does not exist in the book. I, I was very careful not to tread on the National Football League's uh, trademarks because they're very sensitive about that and tend to sue people. So my team were green and white and uh, practiced in uh, Florham Park, New Jersey, and uh, were occasionally referred to as gang green. But the the actual term New York Jets was does not appear anywhere in the book. You just have to figure that out on your own. I'm not a football guy myself but how did you get the idea of, okay this i've done this and that with mike stoneman what about we kill off the jets quarterback 
that was that I, I, the, the derivation of that came from both uh, long conversations with other Jets fans about murdering our quarterback. Um, but also it was it was a, a, a concept of what happens when a, a star player dies. Uh, what happens to his salary? What happens to the to the salary cap in the National Football League when a when a player dies suddenly and too close to the beginning of the season for you to get a replacement is after the draft and it's almost impossible to make a trade for a for a star player in June or July, and that got me thinking: wouldn't that be a good plot for uh, for a story for Mike Stoneman? And I ended up trying to do a lot of research about how that works in the NFL. It was amazingly difficult to figure out because it's determined based on the NFL Players Association collective bargaining agreement, which is not a public document. You can't just go to the internet and find it, look at look at it. Uh, so I had to do a little clandestine research and find some people who are willing to talk to me off the record about how that really works, uh, and that's the central motivation uh, of what happened in in the in the in the fatal infraction was. Who had a motive to murder the quarterback? And exactly at this particular time, that would generate the way that the salary cap impact of the death would hit the football team. So it was it was very interesting research to do. And the Jets have been impacted not once but twice, not by death, but by terrible injury to their quarterback in the very, very earliest moments of the game. Once it was Vinny Testaverde, and this year it was... Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. And what did they uh... find out how difficult it was, if not impossible, to get a replacement quarterback when he went down only four plays in? <laughs> You're right. It, it's it's very 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 difficult on the team. Um, what you find out is we'd be we'd be better off if they were actually dead rather than just injured and out for the season. <laughs> that was that was kind of the uh, kind of the point of uh, of that story. Uh, now, interestingly, in the middle of that story, uh, I have a scene where there's two uh, two police officers in a car st- in a in a stakeout situation. And what do you do? How do you describe two cops sitting in a car waiting for something to happen? So I had them listening to uh, National League Town, a baseball podcast, <laughs> while they were in the car. <laughs> Cool. So maybe uh, someday I'll have one of my uh, one of my characters listening to this podcast. <laughs> and the stories ripped from today's headlines, you might say. <laughs> now, this year's book is Dead Winner. It's the Clue Award winner. Tell me about the book Dead Winner. Dead Winner is really a story about a lawyer. Um, it's not about law at all, uh, but it happens to be uh, a trust and estates lawyer named Rory, Rory McIntyre, and uh, he is visited by uh, two old friends from law school, uh, a woman named Monica, who was a woman he had a, a huge crush on uh, back in the day. But unfortunately for him, Monica married Rory's best friend, Tom, and they have been a, a couple since then, and Rory has been sort of lonely and single. And uh, so Monica and Tom walk into his office and announce that they have a winning lottery ticket worth $60 million. Some people get all the luck, right? Uh, But they want Rory to set up a trust so that they can have the trust claim the winnings and and put the money somewhere where people won't know necessarily who owns it. And Rory is very happy to, uh, to do any favor in the world for Monica. 
Two days later, Tom is dead in uh, in their swanky New York apartment. And Monica calls Rory and says, I need help. Tom is dead. I don't know what to do. Oh, and by the way, the lottery ticket is missing. So Tom is the dead winner. He's uh, he's he, he won the lottery. He also won the Monica lottery. And uh, and now he's dead. And Rory is thrust into a situation of needing to help Monica, both because the police think that she might have had something to, to, to do with uh, with Tom's death and because they need to find the missing lottery ticket. So Rory is thrust into this position of trying to be the hero for Monica and uh, perhaps win the heart of the girl that he has loved for many years. And that's the story. And what happens after that? You have to read the book to find out. Talking with author Kevin G. Chapman. And you said to me you wrote part of a screenplay about an aging bachelor. And I think the bachelor was an athlete of some kind. I forget what sport he played and how far did that screenplay get? Well, the, the screenplay is mostly done. Um, I couldn't find, I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm working on getting a literary agent who, to, to help me with this stuff. But the, um, the, the story uh, was called beauty and the beard. And the, the, it's about a, a third baseman for the New York Mets who is a uh, wild and, uh, and crazy bachelor baseball player who gets into a lot of trouble and there is a big scandal and he's his contract is coming up soon and the the team decides that he needs to tone down his image and and make himself into a player who could be a little more the face of the team uh very much not david wright sort of the opposite of david wright um so the team sets him up with a girl to say okay this is now your girlfriend and you're gonna go around town and you're gonna present yourself as a clean cut a uh, guy with one girl and not sleeping around with every girl you meet. And it was, you know, we're going to improve your image. And uh, so the story is about the relationship between him and the, the girl who they set him up with. And she's got some problems in the background and he ends up helping her with, with her issues. And, you know, he cleans He actually does clean up his clean up his act a bit. And it uh, it's about the evolution of those characters within the context of his baseball season and his contract negotiation coming up. And so that was all uh, set in New York and, and with, with characters uh, in and around the New York Mets. So it was a lot of fun to write. I, I loved the story and loved writing the story, but it's a, it's a movie that will probably never get made, but it's in my head. Talking with author Kevin G. Chapman, you've been a Mets fan since before they became trendy, before Dwight Gooden. You know, you joined in right about the time they were going downhill in the late 70s you've watched the 80s you've watched the 90s and and the years that have passed since then 2023 it had to be more fun writing about the Mets than it was watching the actual Mets of this year yeah it was a it was a tough year a lot of high expectations uh and then dashed to to bits but uh, I have a lot of a lot of excitement right now for the night for the 2025 Mets uh, with all these these prospects that they picked up when they traded away uh, Scherzer and, and Verlander and other guys this season, so we we got uh, we got a future, I think. But we'll see what uh, what Uncle Steve Cohen does for us in this off season to make us competitive in twenty twenty four. They need the polar bear. <laughs> they need oh, they'll, they'll Can they can they keep him? 
They will. They will. I mean, I I think I don't think there's any way that Steve Cohen is going to let Alonzo walk. He's he's too much the face of the team at this point for him to uh, to let him go. I I gotta believe that they're gonna they're gonna find the money. And listen, they gave they gave Brendan Nimmo 180 million dollars. Uh, they're gonna pay Alonzo. You've watched baseball evolve over the decades, and what do you think about? 2023 baseball with the changes that have come as compared to the game from say five or six years ago which was so so slow (laughs) such an incredibly slow-paced game what do you think about the changes that have been made just starting this year I'm generally in favor. Uh, if you go back and look at, for example, uh, uh, I have DVDs on my shelf of the 1969 World Series, obviously. Uh, if you go back and watch those uh, NBC broadcasts from the 1969 World Series between the Mets and the Orioles, those games in the World Series were over in two and a half hours. Uh, and, and if you watch what happens in those games, the main thing that happens is... The catcher gets the ball, throws it back to the pitcher. The pitcher's on the rubber. The batter's in the box. And the pitcher throws the next pitch. And you didn't have batters stepping out after every pitch and adjusting their batting gloves and, and taking 30 seconds and the pitcher walking around behind the mound. And and it, it just didn't happen. Uh, the, 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 the amount of time between pitches was much less than the 20-second pitch clock that they've now put in place. And that was just the way the game was. Because that was the the that was the way the players wanted to play it. Um, so I like the pitch clock. I, I think that it it gets you back to that constant action and and not a lot of downtime between pitches, and it accomplished the goal. They you know they cut thirty minutes a game off the off the average game time this year. So I have no problem with the uh, with with the with the pitch timer just to get the action moving. Uh, I also think you have to limit the number of throws to first base because if you don't then the pitch timer becomes irrelevant anytime the pitcher doesn't want to throw the pitch he just throws the first um and that'll slow things down too so those i like i hate the shift rule i think that's terrible i do not think that the league should be dictating to the defense how they should play defense i, I just don't think that's a good thing for the game i i i, I understand the ghost runner and extra innings Although I would say if you're going to do it all season long, you should do it in the playoffs and the World Series, too. It's, if it's a rule, it should be the rule for the whole season, not just for the regular season. That's just me. Now, the shift goes back to Lou Budrow trying to defeat Ted Williams. And Ted he, Williams, sure. He had, he had great success because Ted Williams refused to hit the ball the other way. Now it's like players are allergic to hitting the ball the other way. They just don't seem to know that there's this great big open turnpike that's that's <laughs> available to them with four or five guys ganged up on the other side. They can't seem to take care of all that wide open space. Yeah, listen, it should be up to the hitters to, to figure out how to beat the defense. It should not be up to uh, the league to tell the defense you're not allowed to do things that are gonna that are going to help you get the hitters out. Uh, I think if you left it the way it was over the course of the next several years, you would have seen a couple of things happen. One is that all these the players who couldn't beat the shift would be out of baseball because if you can't if you can't beat it, then you're you, you can't play. 
but more importantly, I think all the players who tended to be pull hitters would figure out how to go the other way when 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 the when the defense is getting giving it to you, and how to lay down a freaking bunt. Uh, you know, if they're giving you a single, take it, take the single, just you know, slap the ball toward the side of the infield where there are no defenders playing, take the single and move on to the next batter. I think it would have been an evolution and it would have happened uh, without the league necessarily dictating it, but uh, you know, they, they, they do what they do in order to increase offense and runs and excitement. And I kind of get that. That's what the designated hitter was all about. So those of us who still rail against the designated hitter got to just say, okay, well, that's that's the modern game. It's made for television. You got to have more action. Okay, I'll 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 ignore it. On the Baseball Lifer podcast, Don Wardlow here with author Kevin G. Chapman. The latest book is Dead Winner. Coming up next in February is The Other Murder. And after The Other Murder, have we heard the last of Mike Stoneman? And if so, what else is on the fire? No, actually, Mike Stoneman number six is the next book up. I'm I'm working on that now. It's called Double Takedown, and it will be out in late 2024. So I'm I'm gonna get that one out before uh, before next Christmas, and that will be the return of Mike Stoneman and his cohorts. So I I had them take a three year hiatus. And the uh, the story picks up the last book in the in the first five, uh, which was called Perilous Gambit, which took place in Las Vegas, which I loved setting a book in Las Vegas. Um, that was January of 2020 was when that book finished. And then the new book will pick up the uh, the storyline in the summer of 2023. So we will skip COVID <laughs> and we'll just pick up in the summer of 2023 and and the characters will go from there. And I expect to have at least three or four more Mike Stoneman books uh, coming up, but uh, number six will be out in, in, uh, in next year. Not many authors who I've interviewed have their books on audible.com. You're the exception. Well, I think audiobooks have a, have a tremendous market. Um, I mean, it used to be people in their cars. Uh, <laughs> I used to be one of them. I had a lot of long car trips and w- would listen to books on uh, on CDs. But the 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 market now for for audio books is for people who are just doing things around the house or taking a walk around the block uh, or just like listening rather than uh, than reading. And it's still reading. I, I don't uh, I'm not a snob about people not reading, but rather listening. You're you're experiencing the book, however you experience it. And uh, so I decided back when, after I published uh, the first book in the Mike Stoneman series that I wanted to have the books available on audio. And so I uh, I've undertaken to record them myself uh, and uh, gives me a chance to be a little bit of an actor and uh, do the voices of the characters and. And uh, so I've been re- recording the audiobooks so that my audience can experience them uh, without without having to look at the the printed word on the page. I, I like doing it, and I uh, I've had a pretty good response to the audiobooks, which is great. You know, I wish more authors, particularly about baseball books, would go ahead and either record them themselves, as Mike Caps did, or find another way to get the books recorded and get them out there for 
the greater audience because it isn't just blind people who listen to audiobooks. Oh, no, for sure. I did make one strategic mistake, however, uh, when I started recording the Mike Stoneman books. Um, I can tell you, Mike, Mike Stoneman time sounds like this. This is Mike's voice. Mike's got this gravelly, scratchy voice, which makes him very distinctive when when I'm when I'm speaking his voice on the on the uh, on the audio books. Unfortunately, it's very rough on my voice. <laughs> so yes, you pay I, a price. <laughs> if I've done three or four chapters uh, with a lot of Mike Stoneman dialogue, I got to stop. <laughs> it's uh, I'm done for the night after about an hour of uh, of doing a lot of Mike Stoneman dialogue. So probably should have picked a voice that was a little easier uh, on me. <laughs> well, don't let that bother you because I'll tell you the people who record books for the blind do it in half hour segments a half hour break half hour break they don't just sit there like mike caps did and start and, and keep going and going and going mike didn't know that the professionals take breaks and do a half hour and a half hour and a half hour it seems like you've already come to that realization uh oh yeah yeah i i, I don't do more than about an hour and a half i mean 90 minutes at a stretch talking into the microphone is about as much as i'm gonna do um, and then you got to stop and not only rest your voice, but then you got to go back and edit the tracks. Um, it's not like I have a professional audio uh, engineer who's who's doing the editing. I'm doing the editing myself. So I find that it's much easier for me to, uh, let's say, do one hour of, of recording and then immediately do the three hours of editing that it's going to take to get that one hour of recording in shape to actually be published. We've been talking to author... Kevin G. Chapman. You can read his books. You can get audio versions of his books. And you've been able to hear him on the Baseball Lifer podcast. Kevin, thanks a lot for joining me. Don, thank you so much for having me. Uh, my my books are available on, on Amazon. And also uh, the, 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 the more recent books will be available in some local bookstores. Uh, but you can always get them yeah, on the in the audiobook versions on any of the audio retailers out there in the world, as well as on uh, on Audible for Amazon. So uh, you can also find them on my website, uh, which is kevingchapman.com. So it's very easy to remember. Been a pleasure uh, to talk about baseball and books with you today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Kevin. We'll be back with a word about upcoming episodes if you keep it right where it is. I'm having such a problem at work. It's the second time this month. I've got two computers down and I can't get my computer repair company to come to the office to fix them. I think they are too busy with other bigger companies to help us. You know, I was having the same problem until we met Cortland Computer Services in Middlesex, New Jersey. They respond to most of my calls the same day, either by accessing my computers remotely or by sending a technician to my office. Wow, that would be great. It is such a disruption when our computers are not working properly. I need someone who can see what's wrong and fix it. On our first meeting, they surveyed our network for security, identified some problem areas, and set us up with security software designed to prevent malware, ransomware, and all of the other threats that are on the internet these days. They've been helping central New Jersey businesses for 30 years, and they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. You should contact them either on the web at courtlandcomputerservices.com or by phone at 732-356-8860. 732-356-8860.
8860 portlandcomputerservices.com. Tell them you heard about them on the Baseball Lifer podcast and get a $100 coupon toward your first two hours of services. Back with you on the Baseball Lifer podcast. And again, our thanks to Kevin G. Chapman, author, for talking with us about the game he has loved since the 70s and how he's been able to work the game into the thread of the novels that he's been writing. Coming up next week, this is what we've got planned. We have a guest, Bob Gonzalez. He's written a book called A Flicker in the Water, a book about fishing. And why a book about fishing? Because I don't think in all the years I interviewed baseball players, I don't think I interviewed one of them who didn't say that fishing was his number one hobby in the off season. So we'll talk to Bob Gonzalez about that. Before we bring our guest on next week, I'm going to talk about the Ford C. Frick Award nominees. Those are broadcasters who are going to be, at least one of them is going to be enshrined in the Hall of Fame starting in 1978, starting with Mel Allen and Red Barber. From then on, one broadcaster was enshrined every year. And one is going to be enshrined next July. And his name will be announced in December. The full list was published a couple of weeks ago. And I wanted to talk to you about these men. And as far as I could, play some highlights of some of their best moments. So you would have an idea of who these men are. Now, some of their highlights I don't have, but what I do have, I'll share. Next week on our program, before we bring on guest author Bob Gonzalez. That's on next week's Baseball Lifer podcast. Until then, this is Don Wardlow. Have a good week. 